Amen. Well, I'm going to pray. We're going to hit the ground running. And uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time today, we've been on a series all summer about activation. We are pressing into God to find out who he's created us to be and what he's called us to do. We believe that every single one of us has a prophetic destiny on the earth. We believe every one of us will stand before God and we'll give an account of what we've done with our time, with our talents, with our treasures. And most importantly, we wanna be on assignment and we wanna be on mission with what God has put us on the earth to do. We're not here by accident. We're not here by coincidence. We are here because God has put us here for such a time as this. Somebody say amen to that. So Father, we we thank you for the movement and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that last week was a week of baptism and that this week will be a week of baptism. We thank you that this is a spirit-filled house, that this is a house that desires and wants the movement and the ministry of your spirit. Holy Spirit of the living God, you are not only welcome here, you are wanted here with no seatbelts. Holy Spirit of God, come and have your way. Lead us, guide us, reveal the Father to us, speak to us, speak through us, empower us for ministry and service in the earth to advance your kingdom and to make Jesus famous and to glorify our great God. We ask you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, yeah. Last week we talked about how the spirit of the living God is the activating spirit. He is the life-giving spirit. We talked about how it's the Holy Spirit who brings life. And we looked at numerous scriptures to that end. And we ended last week very, very quickly talking about the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna take that a little bit further this morning by the counsel of some elders and friends of mine. They said, you know, Jade, I think that we ought to unpack that a little bit more. And I thought about that and thought about a number of different directions that we could have gone this morning. And I'm heeding the counsel of my elders and heeding the counsel of my friends. And we're just gonna take last week's message and just pull it apart a little bit more and dive into it a little bit more deeply and extract some things out of there that I believe will not only be foundational, but they'll be helpful for every single one of us. So I wanna talk with you about something very, very quickly that uh, I woke up Monday morning thinking about uh, particularly all of these incredible young people that came up to the front. And let me just say, for all of our young people that came up last week, I commend you, I am so proud of you. And uh, I know that you stepping forward out of your hunger, out of your love, out of obedience, out of passion for Jesus, God will never waste that. And I want you to know that no matter what happened or what didn't happen last week, I want you to know that God has marked your life for good. I want you to know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is real and it's for you. And so before I get into really uh, breaking down some teaching, there's a couple of things I wanna share with you that, that just fell upon my heart on Monday mornings I woke up thinking about the previous day. Number one, I wanna tell you guys that we should never pull truth down to our level of experience. Never pull truth down to your level of experience. And what I mean by that is this, if you ask God for something, if you ask him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you ask God for healing, and maybe that has not manifested in your life yet, what is typical for human reason and human justification is when that didn't happen, we begin to look at all the reasons why, we begin to create these doctrines as to why that is not available, as to why that is not for us today. I pray for somebody they didn't get healed and so then my human reasoning kicks in to protect me and says, well, maybe healing went away with the apostles. 
Or maybe, uh, maybe God doesn't will. Maybe he's able, but maybe he doesn't desire that everybody be healed. Or maybe what happens is we begin to actually spiritualize it and say things like this. You know, it's actually very godly for people to be sick. And, and the sicker you are, the godlier you are. All that is an example of our human reasoning justifying us not receiving something that we ask God for. It's us pulling truth down to our experience. Instead, what we ought to do is we ought to elevate our experience to the measure of truth. We ought to understand that truth is a bar that doesn't move in our lives. That truth is a plumb line that says you can come up higher to this. Maybe you haven't experienced the healing that you've been praying for, but friend, pull your experience up by faith, pull your experience up by pursuit, pull your experience up by hunger, pull your experience up by getting together with the community of believers and pull your experience up to the level of God's truth. If he says it, it is true. Let God be true and let every man be a liar is what the scripture says. Second thing I wanna say is in Acts chapter one, verse four, and you can turn there with me in Acts chapter one, verse four, Jesus was speaking to his disciples after he had resurrected. And he said to them, he says, do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem. For all of us who came forward last week and we cried out to God, we waited, we tarried, we prayed, and we asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I wanna say to you. Number one, don't pull truth down to your experience. Pull your experience up to truth. Number two, I wanna say, don't leave Jerusalem. And what do I mean by that? Do not leave the place of faith and pursuit of God. Do not leave the place of expectation. Do not leave the place of Christianity. Because I'm telling you, this kind of stuff happens. The enemy gets in there and he says, well, you asked for it and it didn't happen. And maybe God isn't real. And maybe this whole thing is a farce. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave the place of your faith. Don't leave the place of your pursuit. This is what he says next. And this is point number three. He says, wait for the gift. And so for all of you who came forward last week and you asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and maybe you didn't experience that to the degree that you were expecting, my, my charge to you by the word of the Lord this morning is wait. Wait, and wait is not a passive activity. Wait doesn't mean just sit back and, and, and be passive and be indifferent and go on with the rest of your life. It means to actively wait. It means to patiently wait. It means to have the same level of expectation and faith and anticipation, but you're waiting. It hasn't come yet, but you know that it's coming. I've got to be careful when I talk to my kids because when, if I tell them that we're going to do something that night or next week, if I tell them we're going to go to the cousin's house, I will literally on the minute for every 60 seconds say, is it time to go yet? Is it time to go to Honor and Graces yet? Is it time to go to Joshua and Josiah's yet? And literally it will be, and I have to say, guys, I said it's going to happen. I need you to trust me. If I tell them we're gonna get ice cream that night, every minute on the minute, if we're gonna, are we still gonna get ice cream? I told you we're gonna get ice cream. I'm, I, I am a man and, and sometimes I don't follow through, but I want you, I'm good for my word. I want ice cream probably more than you do. So we're gonna get ice cream, just relax and wait. And so sometimes what I'll tell my kids is, I'll say, my job was to tell you what's coming and your job is to wait. But guys, listen, scripture talks about, and then Jesus said this in Acts 1, 4, he says, wait for the gift, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Keep asking, keep believing, keep expecting, keep, keep staying in faith 
and wait for that gift, I promise you, I promise you, it will come. It will come. He's, he's, he, he is a good father. Scripture says, which of you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children? And if your son asks you for a fish, will you give him a snake? And if he asks you for a piece of bread, will you give him a rock? No, that's absurd. And he says, how much more then, if you ask for the spirit of God, will I give it to you who believe? He's gonna give it to you. So you just keep believing. Don't get disappointed. Don't get resentful. Don't get offended. Don't get bitter. You just keep waiting because it might be that he's growing some muscles inside of you. It might be that he's doing something in preparation for that. But I promise you in the right way at the right time that that gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to come. And let me ask last week, how many of you prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you received that last week? Let me see hands here today. Awesome. 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 Awesome, 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 awesome. Praise God. All right, so those are some thoughts for you guys to chew on. And uh, let's today, I wanna talk for a few minutes about the difference between the indwelling spirit and the baptism of the spirit. Because it seems in my brief journey in Christianity that there's been a lot of confusion concerning this. And so uh, we're gonna throw a couple of scriptures on the board for you to take a look at these. And uh, the first thing that I wanna start off with very simply is helping us to understand that the indwelling spirit comes upon salvation. The indwelling spirit, and I'm gonna make a distinction here because language is important. Where there has been a lack of clarity in language, there has brought confusion. The indwelling spirit, when I reference the indwelling spirit, I'm talking about the spirit of God that comes to reside within your spirit upon uh, receiving the gift of salvation that comes through Christ Jesus. The moment you and I become children of God, the moment you and I become followers of Jesus, And we're gonna look at some verses here. The moment you and I confess our sins and repent of our sins and acknowledge that we have trespassed against our King, but we wanna be brought back into fellowship with him. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit of God at that very moment comes and he resides in our heart. And that is what we're gonna call the indwelling spirit. But then we discover that there's also a baptism of the spirit. And today our goal is to make that distinction very, very clear. We may not hit all these verses for the sake of time, but go with me to John chapter one, verse 12. John chapter one, verse 12. John 1, 12 says, yet to all who received him and to those who believed in his name, he has given the right to become children of God. Let's throw that verse on the screen if we can. Yet to all who received him, meaning Jesus, and to all who believed in his name, he has given the right, he has given the privilege, he has given the access, and he has given the authority to become children of God. How do we become children of God? By believing in Jesus. How do we be, how do we get, be, be brought back into his family? Scripture says that we were alienated from God, that at one point of our lives, we were actually enemies with God. How do we get brought back into fellowship with Jesus? All of these scriptures that you just written down, all of those reference the fact that when we believe in the reality of who Jesus was and what Jesus did and his sacrificial substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, and we receive the resurrection life of his spirit inside of us, it says that we're saved, we're forgiven of our sins, we're redeemed, we're restored back into fellowship with him and the life of his spirit enters into our lives. Turn with me if you would to Romans chapter 10, very important scripture here. Romans chapter 10, we're gonna look at verse nine and we're gonna look at verse 10. Romans 10, verse nine and 10. Scripture says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. How many of you at a particular point or moment in your life, you can go back and you can say, I have believed in my heart that Jesus Christ he wasn't just a good man or a teacher or a prophet. He was in fact God. He was God who came in the flesh. He is the Lord over all of creation and the Lord of my life. And I believed that in my heart and I confessed it with my mouth. Look at verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. How many, how many of you have made that belief in your heart and that profession and that confession with your mouth? Let me just see hands here in this room. It's awesome. Praise God. We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the moment that you did that, that simple act of faith, what happened was God's spirit entered into your spirit. And we talked about this last week in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, that when God created man, at first he was just a shell. And when God breathed into him, life entered into him. His spirit man was activated. Without life in your spirit, you and I are spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter two, verse one, you can write this down, says it like this. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in your trespasses, when you were dead, what is that saying? He wouldn't be talking to them if they were physically dead. He was speaking about the fact that spiritually because of Adam's uh, transgression, because of sin, because of trespass, because of us uh, willingly violating the covenant of God, our spirit man died. Our spirit man died. So physically we were alive. We had a soul, we had a personality. We had the ability to think, to reason. We had emotions, but spiritually we had no lifeline with God. But the moment that you and I invited Christ Jesus into our heart, the spirit, the spirit of God came and he indwelled our lives, All right? Let's look at the next point here. Let's go to that next block of scriptures if we would. And what I wanna do is I wanna talk about not only is the spirit of God the life-giving agent, I wanna talk, talk about the purposes and the function of the life-giving spirit. The purposes and the function of the life-giving spirit. We're gonna go down a couple of blocks there, you guys. Number one, go with me to the book of Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, we're talking about the purposes. Why is it that God put his spirit inside of us upon salvation? Romans chapter eight, verse 15 and verse 16. The scripture says the spirit that you received. Now we just talked about the fact that when you and I confessed our sins, when we believed in our heart, we received God's spirit. This right here is validating that. Romans chapter eight, the spirit that you received. Say the spirit I received. Say I received a spirit and it was the Holy Spirit. Awesome. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather the spirit that you received brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Now look right here in verse 16, very, very important. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. How do you know that you're a son and daughter of God? How was it? I don't know if you experienced this, but I've heard many, many stories of this and maybe your experience was the same but there are times when people, when they receive Jesus, maybe they were young, maybe they were teenagers. What I do know is that spiritually, maybe they didn't know a lot. And my guess is that many of us will not be able to sit down and reason from the scriptures how it is that we are saved. Can't explain it. But there's this knowing inside of us. Where's that knowing come from? You know, many years ago, I picked up a book called The Lost Art of Disciple Making. 
And it talked about that one of the first things that you do when you sit down and you help somebody get grounded in their faith is one of the first questions they're gonna ask is how do I know that I'm saved? Romans 8, 16 is answer number one to that. The spirit himself testifies with your spirit. I can't explain it. I can't quote all the scriptures. Jesus says in John three, the wind blows where it wills. And I don't understand how the wind blows where it does. But what I can tell you is I know with everything inside of me, I know that I know that I'm saved. I know that I know that I was in darkness and now I'm in light. And how do I know that? Because God's spirit agrees. The word testify there says, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you that you were once captivity to the devil, but now you belong in the family of God. And I want you to know that point number one is this is why God's spirit dwells inside of us to agree with us that we're saved. Number two, go to Ephesians chapter one. Go to Ephesians chapter one with me. The second reason why we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is because it, it shows that we belong to God. We're gonna look at verse, we're gonna start here. Let's, let's begin at verse nine. Ephesians chapter one, verse nine, if we would. Scripture says that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Let's just keep going. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Now this is where it starts getting good. How many of you would agree that Paul is talking to people who are saved? You guys would agree with that. He's talking to people that know Christ. Now look at verse 13. This is where we start looking at the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Now you don't have to go here, but Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14 into verse 15 say, say something that's so powerful. Verse 13 says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. And then verse 14 says something like this. It says, and how shall we call upon one that we've not believed in? Isn't that right? That makes sense. How can I call upon the name of a person I don't believe in? Then it says this, how can you believe in the one that you've never heard of? It's so logical. Paul's like a lawyer. He's just breaking this down. He says, you can't call on the name of somebody you don't believe in and you can't believe in somebody that you've never heard of. And how can you hear if someone never told you? Now look right here again at Ephesians 1.13. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you believed the message that you heard, which is the gospel of your salvation. There's a word that came forth earlier this morning that the spirit of evangelism is in the house. And Pastor Dan said it like this, the spirit of evangelism is the spirit of the message of the good news that is coming forth. Today, I want you guys to know you are hearing the message of the good news, the good news of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the message of the good news that God's spirit dwells inside of our spirit and we can become integrated into his family. The message of the good news that not only does he dwell inside of us, but he wants to come upon us and empower us for effective ministry and service. That is the message that they heard and they believed it. And when they believed it, scripture says they became included in Christ. They were his family. Let's keep reading here. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, which is the promised Holy Spirit. 
Do you know what happened when you and I became believers? God put his spirit inside of us, marking us saying, these guys belong to me now. I mentioned last week that I went on a vacation a couple of weeks ago and we were about 30 minutes away from the Wyoming border. And we were driving out one day to go restock on ice. And as we were driving down the road, we saw this, this herd of bison. It was one of the most amazing thing, hundreds and hundreds of bison. And then as we drove down a little bit further, we saw these wild horses, probably about eight or 10 wild horses that were just running along the side of the road. And Christy said, who do these horses belong to? They, they, they weren't in a pen, they weren't, they weren't in a, a pasture, they weren't locked up in fences. And they said, how, how, how do people know who these guys belong to? And as we drove by, you could see these markings on these horses. Those markings on those horses were saying that those horses belonged to somebody. And in the same way that when somebody comes across that horse and they see that marking, they know, they recognize the marking and they say, oh, this belongs to, to Jim up the road or this horse right here belongs down there to Sam. Or, you know, when, when, when the enemy looks on our life, when the world looks on our life, when the church looks on our life, when, the, when demonic spirits in the realm of the invisible look upon our life, do you know what they see? They see a seal. They see a mark. They see the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the enemy knows I can't touch them anymore because they don't belong to me anymore. The book of Colossians chapter one, verse 13 and 14 says, but you, what well, you once lived in the dominion of darkness, but you were translated out of the dominion of darkness. You know what it was? Do you know what your past was that got you out of the dominion and death camp of the enemy? God's spirit marking you as a seal set upon your heart so then you could cross over out of the gates of darkness and enter into the dominion of God's son because of the Holy Spirit. He is our access key. He is the one that when we approach God, like Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, verse 16, it says that let us then approach the throne of grace with boldness. How can we approach the throne of, the throne of grace with boldness? Because when we approach him in prayer and we approach him in worship, he looks upon us and he sees the Holy Spirit, the seal of God's spirit on our lives. And he says, you may enter, you have access. You, I will hear your prayers. I will listen to your petitions. I will receive the authority on your life because the Holy Spirit has marked you with the seal and you belong to me. I want you to know today that the enemy has no claims on your life. You belong to God. You have been marked with the seal. That's awesome. I want you to think about this in old medieval days when a king would write a letter and we see examples of this in the Old Testament as well. When a king would write a letter and he would send forth the message, he would write that letter, he would roll it up and how many of you know where I'm going? He would take wax, pour that wet wax on that on that, and then he would take his seal and then he would dip it in that wet hot wax and he would just stamp it and everybody would know two things, that this message is coming from the king and it has the authority of the king. And I want you to know that because you are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, that wherever you go, you carry the message of the king and you carry the authority of the king. Because when, people, when the spirit realm sees you stand up and sees you engage, when you start going on your prayer journeys and the, the enemy tries to intimidate you, all you have to do is quote back to him, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. You can, you, can, you can try to intimidate me all you want, but I'm marked with a seal, which means I'm sent with the message and I'm sent with authority and I'm not coming on my own because I am marked by a seal that says I belong to somebody greater than me. 
Somebody ought to clap their hands to God about that today. Look at verse 14. This keeps getting better. Look at verse 14. 14 says, who is a deposit? The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there is gonna come a day and it's gonna come a day very soon that our house will sell in Jesus' name. And when that happens, we're, we have our eye on a number of houses. And in order for us to purchase those houses, what we have to do is we have to lay down something called earnest money. Isn't that right? And that earnest money says that the house doesn't quite belong to us yet, but we have spoken for that house. The house isn't fully in our possession yet, but we've laid down a deposit that says our intentions are good and our intentions are true. And we are going to fully pay for that house and we're gonna fully inhabit that house. Now the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our earnest money. The Holy Spirit is our deposit. So when God sent the Holy Spirit into us, he's saying essentially, I don't completely own them yet because they haven't been fully redeemed yet, but I'm here to let the entire world know that I've, my, the blood of my son Jesus is good. And I'm here to let the entire world know. I'm here to make known the manifold wisdom of God in the heavens and in the earth that I'm putting my spirit down upon them saying, I will come back and I will fully redeem and they will be fully mine because I put the deposit of my spirit in their lives. That's the indwelling spirit. You need to understand that you belong to God. And the reason why you can understand that you belong to God is because he has put the indwelling spirit in your life. Point number three, what's the purpose of the indwelling spirit? Go with me to the book of John chapter 16. The book of John chapter 16, we're gonna look at verse 13. One of my favorite verses to memorize when I was a young man in high school. Scripture says, but when he, meaning the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That right there is a promise that you can go to the bank on. When you need direction, when you need revelation, when you're making decisions and you don't know what to do, when you're praying about that job or you're praying about that person that you think that you're gonna marry, scripture says that when the spirit, the spirit of truth is inside of you to guide you into all truth. The third function of the indwelling spirit is guidance, revelation, and communication. How is it that we can commune with God? It's by the indwelling spirit. He is our pipeline the systems were down, now the systems are up. You know, out at that cabin, we didn't have an ounce of service. We arrived in the cabin on Friday night and three days later, we, uh, we had our anniversary, our 13 year anniversary and tons of friends. We just got so many wonderful texts, but we didn't receive any of those texts because our, our devices were down. They weren't plugged in, they weren't online. They weren't receiving the signal. But once we, once we got to a place where those, where those devices could receive the signal, boop, we began seeing all these text messages from friends and family and, and just wonderful people. You know, our, the device mechanism of our ability to hear God's voice was down. When God's spirit entered into our spirit, all of, all of his messages, all of his revelation, all of his love, all of his, all of his truth was already right there waiting to be downloaded. Waiting to, be, waiting to be uploaded into our spirit, man. Many of you guys, and if we could sit down and you could testify, many of you would talk about situations and experiences in your life where you, didn't, you weren't able to prove this in the natural, but you walked into a situation and you just knew something wasn't right. 
Maybe you're entering into a business deal with a person and you just knew there was this something in your spirit that uh, it wasn't in peace. That's John 16, 13. The spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. He is the governor. He is the umpire. He is the one that says, hey, this is a little bit out of bounds. You know, I, I could tell some really uh, indicting stories in my life of how I violated that spirit of truth in my life. And I began doing some things as a young man and, and I literally heard the voice of God's spirit say, son, what are you doing? And I say, I got this, I'm good. I got, I'm good with this. And I'd take a little bit, you know, take a step further and start getting into some mischief. And the Holy Spirit say, son, what are you doing? I say, I'm, I'm all right. I'm not, I'm not doing anything too bad. And uh, long story short, I got into a lot of trouble. And I got into trouble because I violated that, that governing spirit of truth inside of me. The third reason why we have the indwelling spirit is because the indwelling spirit leads us into truth. He is our discernment. He is the one that brings us revelation. He unlocks mysteries and helps us to live the abundant life. Fourth reason why the spirit of God dwells inside of us. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Powerful verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse nine through 11. Let's put those on the screen and read those together. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, keep going, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's the key in verse 11. Verse 11 says, and that is what you yourselves were. That is what you yourselves were. That is what I, I was wicked. I was alienated from God. But it says right here, it says, but you were washed. Come on, somebody, let's, I just say, I was washed. It says, you were sanctified. See, I was sanctified. It says, you were justified. I was justified in the name of Christ Jesus. And by who? By the spirit of God. Why does the Holy Spirit dwell inside of you? To wash you to justify you and to sanctify you. The process of spiritual growth and maturity is, leads us in a continual journey of overcoming sin more and more, gaining greater victory in our spiritual maturity over sin, over the things of this world. It's a process. But the only way that you and I are empowered to defeat sin and the strongholds of the enemy in our life is by the indwelling spirit of God inside of us. That is how we have victory over sin. That is how we have victory over the world, over the pressures of friends. That is how we have victory over our own vices and our generational iniquities. It is by the spirit of God that is inside of us. It is not by willpower. It is not by just making a decision and I'm gonna be a better person. It is only by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. Now that, that, those are four reasons and there's many, many more, but those are four reasons why the Holy Spirit dwells inside. What I wanna make clear is a couple of verses before we close. Let's go to John 14, verse 17. And we looked at this last week. John 14, verse 17. Let's throw that up on the screen if we would. I'm just gonna pull these references out right here. It says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you 
and he will be in you. Now at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God was not dwelling inside those disciples. Are you seeing that? Scripture says that he lives with you and at a time he will be in you. Now I wanna look at a couple of verses here just to make this very, very clear for us. Go to John 14, 25 through 26. John 14, 25 through 26. All this I have spoken while I was still with you. Look at the next verse. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Was the Holy Spirit dwelling within these men yet? Not at the moment. But Jesus says, look at, let's look at the previous verse, verse 25. All of this I have spoken while still with you. Now we have to understand that the reason why Jesus was saying in John 14, 17, that he has been with you is because at that time, Jesus was embodying the fullness of the spirit. The full measure of the spirit was resting upon Jesus's life. You know, in all the accounts of Jesus's baptism, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we see that when Jesus comes up out of the water, John baptizes him, he comes up out of the water and the scripture says that the spirit of God came down like a dove. But John's scripture in John chapter one says something very interesting. It says that the spirit of God came down and it remained on him. In all those moments in the Old Testament when people were overpowered by the spirit of God, the spirit of God came upon them for a moment and he left came upon them to prophesy and he left, came upon Samson to you know, sh shake himself from the bands of the Philistines and he left. Over and over again, we see the spirit of God coming upon a man and it leaving. But in John chapter one, scripture says that the Holy Spirit of God descended and it landed on Jesus and it remained. The fullness of God's spirit was upon Jesus and he didn't go anywhere. Let's look at this verse right here. John chapter 16, verse five through seven. John chapter 16 verse five through seven. We're gonna wrap this up. We're talking about the indwelling spirit and we're distinguishing something very, very important that the indwelling spirit is not the baptism of the spirit. It is the precursor to the baptism of the spirit. It is the starting point of the baptism of the spirit. And we see that at times in scriptures, there are times when somebody receives the indwelling and the infilling at the same time. But typically we also find accounts where people receive the spirit of God, they believe, and then they're anointed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit for service. And I wanna make that very, very clear today. John chapter 15 or 16, verse five, but now I am going to him who sent me. This is Jesus saying, I'm going to the father. None of you asks, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. Let's keep reading verse seven. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now I've got a personal theory here. Jesus says, unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. You know, as long as Jesus, the scripture says in Colossians that Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was the fullness of the Godhead in a human body. And as long as Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity was on the earth in human form, the fullness of the Holy Spirit would stay upon him and it would not leave. 
And Jesus says, listen guys, I have to go to heaven because unless I go to heaven, you can't walk in what I walked in because the Holy Spirit will not come and dwell within you as long as I am here. He, he, he wants me all to himself. He's gonna stay completely on me as long as I'm on the earth. I've got to go. I've got to return to my rightful place at the right hand of God so I can send God's spirit so that he can dwell on you just like he dwelled in me. Now, back to Acts chapter one, back to Acts chapter one. So we're all understanding right now that the spirit of God dwells inside of us when we receive Christ Jesus. He enters into our heart for purposes to reveal that we are sons and daughters, to mark us as his own, to lead us into truth, to sanctify and purify our lives. We're all together on that, we all agree. All right, so do we also agree that the disciples, when they were walking with Jesus, did not have the spirit of God living inside of them? We looked last week at John chapter 20, verse 20, and we saw that when Jesus came back from the resurrection of the dead, he breathed on his disciples. And what did he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you would agree with me that at that moment, they had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? They had the indwelling spirit. The spirit of God dwelled inside of their spirit. But in Acts chapter one, verse four, we find something very interesting. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Well, I thought you just gave us the gift. No, that's not the gift. That right there, that belongs to you. That's part of your inheritance. That's part of your inheritance as a son. That's part of your inheritance as a daughter. That's rightful. That belongs to you. You deserve, the spirit of God belongs inside of you because you've walked with me and you know me and the resurrection life of God dwells inside of you. So you're receiving something that should have always been inside of you. But now I want to give you a gift because you qualified for the gift. You qualify for the baptism because you have the indwelling. So look at Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you or comes upon you. You will receive power when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You will receive power when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter two, and we close. Acts chapter two, verse one. Read this with me if you would. We're gonna read verses one through four. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. You know, I love today when we were crying out and Seth was leading us in that song, blow through the caverns of my soul. How many of you felt an, an activating and awakening spirit that was just here in the room? My God, you gotta, friends, you gotta stay in those kinds of environments to be awakened people. You gotta stay in those kinds of environments. You gotta press into that reality. If you, my prayer, and I just sat down there weeping and crying out to God because I don't want a dead religious Christianity. I want a Christianity where cancer is being healed. I want a Christianity where people are walking in the power of God. They're prophesying to the four winds that life is entering into environments and marriages are being restored and sons and daughters are walking in their destiny. And we're, we're, we are brave because of the reality of God. You gotta stay in that kind of climate. You gotta stay, you gotta stay in that place where you're saying, Holy Spirit, blow over my life. That's what we read in Ezekiel chapter 37 last week where he said, prophesy to the wind. Then Ezekiel prophesied to the wind and it blew, which was also a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and breath entered into that army and they became a living army. 
Same thing happened there in Acts chapter two, verse one. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. My prayer as I, as I cry out for Antioch is that it, the spirit of God will fill the whole house. The whole house. Those that are here and those that aren't. When you guys get together in life group community throughout the week, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that the spirit of God will fill the whole house. Children, infants, guests, friends, neighbors, first time guests, when they come into the house, I am praying God, according to Acts chapter two, verse two, would you fill the whole house where we are sitting? Now look at this in verse three. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and rested on each of them. And look at verse four. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. Friend, you, we don't have to fear this. We don't have to, we don't have to be afraid of this. As I was driving in this morning, I was thinking about some of the resistance and the reluctance that people have and why we don't hear preachers preaching on this anymore. I began just chewing on this and the enemy has done such a great job causing us to be afraid of this. Friends, I want you to know, and we're gonna go back, back to that verse I quoted earlier. Which of you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children? If your son asks you for a fish, would you give him a snake? If he asks you for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? And we know that that's absurd. Well, how much more if you ask God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I've heard people say this, well, they're afraid that they're gonna open up their spirit to an evil spirit. Friend, I want you to know, if you ask God for, for the Holy Spirit, if you ask God for the baptism of the spirit, he's not gonna give you an evil spirit. He's not gonna give you a crazy spirit. The spirit, the spirit of God is subject to us. He's subject to our spirit. Now we wanna live a life in which we, by our will, that we are subject to him. But I want you to know today that we don't have to be afraid of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we looked at the four reasons why we have the indwelling spirit. Those are all wonderful things necessary for the Christian life. Salvation, sealed, purified, revelation, and all those are necessary to live good Christian lives. But I'm telling you, the baptism is for service. It's for power. It's for demonstration. It's for activity. It's for your assignment. I'm gonna say this again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for your assignment. It's for your assignment. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit activates the gifts of the Spirit. I believe the baptism of the Spirit is that key that turns on and it awakens and it, and it calls to come to life the gifts of healing, the gifts of miracles, the gifts of faith, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Friends, we want those. Those are necessary for your assignment. Those are necessary to be activated. And I wanna tell you again today, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to activate you into your assignment. I want you to stand to our feet this morning. And I'm gonna do this a little bit different today. I'm gonna pray a general prayer over all of us, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you today, if there's a, what I wanna do is I wanna whet your appetite and I wanna do this by faith. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I believe today that by the utterance of the word of God, that faith is rising in your spirit. And what I wanna do is I wanna say, if, if your heart has been awakened unto faith, when you leave this place today, I want you to press into God, to get alone in your prayer closet, to get alone in your quiet time. And I wanna encourage you, keep asking God to fill you with his spirit. 
keep asking God to baptize you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I understand and I just want you to know, I make no apologies for this. There might be people who come in and they hear this and they say, well, you know, that just really isn't for us. And friends, that is okay. We don't have to be, we have to be afraid of this. We don't have to apologize for this. I have, I have walked you through numerous scriptures and I can walk you through countless more. This is biblical. This is for today. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if the apostles needed it for the birth of the church, and if the early church needed it to withstand persecution, how much more must we have this incredible gift? Guys, I don't know what I would do without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have the privilege and the opportunity of praying the mysteries of God by my heavenly language. Which, let me say this, the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which opens you up to your heavenly language. Two separate things. Very, very important for us to understand that. And you can hear that too. When somebody has the gift of tongues operating primarily in a public gathering, which should always be accompanied by the interpretation of tongues, you'll hear it sounds a little bit different and it bubbles up a little bit differently upon them. But that, that my friends, is not your devotional tongue. And people have used that to say, well, well, you know, I have different gifts of the Spirit, but speaking in tongues is not one of my gifts. Friends, your heavenly language, is av- it's, it is available for every single believer. Every single believer has a heavenly language that is given by the utterance of God's Spirit that is available to you. And I want to say, believe for that. Don't pull truth down to your experience. Pull your experience up and believe for that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus... And if you're here today, I believe that if you're here and you say, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just throw your hands up in the air. And I say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and let it be conclusive with the, let let it come with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Let it come. Lord, if you want to do it today, I say, let it come today. Let it come right now. Let it come in power. Let it come like a roaring, rushing river. And Father, if you want to do it when my friends are driving home or when they're at their bedside or or when they're uh, on their knees at home, wherever it may be, I pray right now for all of my friends who are who are in faith asking you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let it come. Let it come. Jesus, you are the baptizer. And I pray today that you would baptize my friends in the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that you would give them their prayer language. I pray that that just from their belly, rivers of living water would well up within them right now. And friends, right now, if you're raising your hand and you're asking God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe that by your spiritual ears, you are hearing. You are hearing sounds, syllables. You are hearing the voice of God's Spirit in your inner ear. And as you are just worshiping God and in that place of your spirit, what you hear in your inner ear, I wanna encourage you just begin to speak that out. Just to speak that out. And here guys, for three minutes all around the room, let's just pray in the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. Father, I pray for a fresh infilling on Jerome. I pray for a fresh infilling on Dwayne, on David, on Carmen, on Renee. Bring a fresh infilling to the Mihalski household. Bring a fresh infilling to the coppers. 
Bring a fresh infilling right now to the Villers. Bring a fresh infilling, God, to every family, to the Irwins, to the Wards, to the Swanks. Bring a fresh infilling to Thomas Blackshear, God. Bring a fresh infilling to Eric, God. Bring a fresh infilling to every life group. Bring a fresh infilling to our students and Generation Church, to our children and Antioch kids, every young adult in Nexus, God. I pray, bring a fresh infilling. I pray for all of our mission teams going to Tanzania and Peru, going to Nicaragua. God, I pray for a fresh baptism, a fresh baptism. Come upon the Martinez household. Come upon Sam and Tiffany, upon the Bannisters, upon Donya. Let, oh God, I pray for a fresh and filling, a fresh and filling on the Gallegos household. In Jesus' name, among Michelle Williams, God, let a fresh and filling come to my friends today. Upon Joe and Caitlin and Dan and Aaron and David and Renee, let a fresh and filling come the baptism of the Holy Spirit welling up inside of us anointing us for another measure of service let it come upon the entire Bond family in Jesus name the baptism of the Holy Spirit for a fresh activation of authority unto service God, I pray for Josh and Elise Westby that you would baptize them afresh in your spirit, oh God. Chris Wilson, Timothy, Father, pour out your spirit upon Antioch Church. Every person in the room, God, I pray for Mike and Denise Rice for a fresh baptism of your spirit, God. Holy Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would hover over us like you hovered over the earth, like you hovered over Mary, that you would hover over us. And Jesus, we ask that you would submerge us, that you would plunge us, that you would hold us under the waters of God's Spirit, that you would cause us to be bolder than we've ever been, to be more courageous than we've ever been, to be stronger than we've ever been in the name of Jesus. I bless you, Antioch Church, to be a spirit-filled people, to be bold, to walk in the power of God's Spirit, to be activated in the gifts of God's Spirit. Things lie dormant inside of you. I pray let them come alive by the Spirit of the living God. This week is a destined week. This week is a week marked with promise. This week is a week of victory. And I commission you today, go forth into this week in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God and the worship of our King in Jesus' name. Let's shout, amen.